everywhere. You don't find eukaryotic cells in every environment. Okay, eukaryotic cells have, have different requirements, um, and they're not as ubiquitous as you found out in lab as the bacteria are. Uh, also, we don't find foreign eukaryotic cells inside the body as a rule. Now, there are parasites, okay, you have the occasional parasite, and those are eukaryotic, often eukaryotic cells, but it's not like the bacteria, where the bacteria make up a, a fairly significant part in terms of the number of cells in the body. And so, we, so, that's, so that's different. Reproductive rates are quite different. Uh, bacteria can reproduce because they're simple and because all they need to do is produce uh, 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 one chromosome and they're, very, they're relatively small to begin with, can often reproduce very rapidly. Uh, some species with every 20 minutes, if they're in a favorable environment, every half hour, the longest, uh, some of the ones that grow the slowest uh, may take 24 hours, sometimes maybe 48 hours to divide. Now, compare that to eukaryotic cells where the fastest growing eukaryotic cells is normally about once every 24 hours. Most eukaryotic cells are, because they're so much larger and complex, it takes them longer to get ready to get through all the things they need to do in order to be prepared to do mitosis. And if you remember mitosis, there were checkpoints in mitosis. And eukaryotic cells must meet those checkpoints, at least if they're healthy cells, or they're not going to divide. Okay. Um, the susceptibility uh, to chemical and physical treatments. Well, the goal is, uh, is something uh, that we would refer to as uh, a uh, ability to damage or kill pathogenic cells, bacterial cells generally, without harming the host cells. It's kind of a selective toxicity, if you will. Okay? Selectively damaging one type of cell without damaging to another. Now, the large difference between eukaryotic cells and prokaryotic cells facilitates this. We can find materials that will damage the one cell, damage prokaryotic cells without damaging eukaryotic cells. And, and some of the differences are the difference in the ribosomes. They have a different kind of ribosome. Their cell walls are different. Uh, penicillin, for instance, or any of the ones, amoxicillin, the ones that end in I, you know, the illin on the end, um, they prevent them from building more uh, peptidoglycan cell wall. Well, if the bacterium can't build more cell wall, it cannot grow, it cannot divide. And that's how those, uh, antibodies work. It has no effect on you because you don't have peptidoglycan in your cells. Okay. The only effect it ever has is there's the occasional person who uh, is allergic to penicillin. And later in the semester when we go over the immune system, we'll talk about allergies and a little bit about how they arise. Uh, so uh, there's a de very definite difference in susceptibility to certain drugs or to certain chemicals. Or, or even some physical treatments. Uh, so, so chemical and then, of course, biochemical uh, treatments. Uh, this is really important from a medical viewpoint. Okay? Um, if there were not a difference, and this is why if, in, if anybody knows people who've had fungal infections, fungal infections are much, much more difficult to treat because fungal cells are eukaryotic cells, and they are more like animal cells than any other group of eukaryotic organisms. 
So it's very difficult, or I shouldn't say, much more difficult to find drugs that affect fungal cells that don't have significant side effects on, on the host cells. Okay, uh, fungal infections, particularly if they're internal, you're often on uh, treatment for months in order to get rid of them. Sometimes six months, seven, you know, eight months. Okay. Uh, and so these uh, differences in cells that we looked at, the uh, prokaryotic cells, and we'll just go back here, uh, you know, no free organelles, the glycocalyx is uh, present here, usually here. Um, not always here, motility, uh, flagellate, uh, structure is different, they don't have cilia. The fimbri and pili are important, they're not found in eukaryotic cells. Ami is present here, but not in the others. Cell wall, uh, most archaeans don't have peptidoglycan. Most bacteria do have peptidoglycan. It is found in, sometimes in plants and algae, but it's not found in animal cells, so that's why we don't have to worry about it. Uh, everybody's got a cytoplasmic membrane, everybody's got cytoplasm, everybody has inclusions. Endospores, found only in a few bacteria, not found in any others. That, is, again, is a significant difference uh, between them. Ribosomes, 70S here and here, versus ADS. Uh, ADS, 70 and ADS, uh, the unit there is, won't make, probably won't mean much, it's called Svedborgs. And, and it has to do with a scientist who, did, who was able, learned how initially to separate parts of a cell by centrifuging them in a gradient of, uh, uh, they used to use cesium chloride and we would have a gradient that would get more and more concentrated as it went down uh, when you put it in the centrifuge. The heavier would go down lower than it would be lighter up for, and each of the organelles would find the spot in that gradient that was equivalent to their density. And eukaryotic cell or cell ribosomes are larger and way more than prokaryotic ribosomes. Therefore, there are drugs and biochemical uh, treatments that will affect bacterial ribosomes, but not eukaryotic ribosomes. So another difference. And of course, chromosomes, um, generally there's only one and it's circular. And of course, uh, eukaryotic cells have multiple chromosomes and they are usually almost never circular. They're always linear. Uh, plus, uh, we have uh, up on our chromosomes uh, a lot of histone proteins, which are generally not found in the bacteria. Okay, having no nucleus means that when a bacterial cell uh, produces messenger RNA, we're going to look at that in the next, in a couple uh, chapters here, um, it can be available to be tran translated immediately. It doesn't have to go anywhere, it doesn't have to be modified. Uh, we're going to get into that with uh, the genetics of bacteria. They don't have to modify the messenger RNA. As soon as they make it, it's ready to be used. Whereas we have to modify our messenger RNA before our cells can use it. Okay, so those are all differences between the, the cells, and these are significant from a medical viewpoint, okay? This, this is really the basis to biochemical control of microbes. Now, physical control, which we're going to get into also later, uh, many of the physical means of control will, would kill any cell, uh, okay? Uh, and so they're, they're used in a, in a different way. Uh, and we'll, and we'll, we have a couple of chapters coming up on 
uh, control of uh, microbial growth. And we'll look at that both from a physical point of view, physical chemical point of view, and then a biochemical point of view. All right, now what I want to do tonight, okay, uh, we're just gonna, we're going to do a case study. And where would I be if I was a case study? Okay. Okay. Oh, I did have a little. All right. All right. So uh, this is a made-up case study, but it still is a good test of your understanding of prokaryotic cells, which is really what it did. Uh, and so uh, we'll kind of go over the beginning of this together. Uh, okay. So uh, and you'll notice that they've kind of just barely disguised some names in your uh, company. Uh, so anyway, uh, you you've gra just graduated college and you have your you've gotten your first job as a microbiologist uh, and you're uh, many people and you might think that you're working for DuPont which is obviously a poorly disguised DuPont uh, but uh, you're wondering you're probably you're still kind of wondering why do they have a microbiologist on staff well companies like that RJ Reynolds does the same thing although they don't call it RJ Reynolds anymore they have another name now uh, they have a lot of biologists on staff because they do a lot of biological research uh, in their labs. It's very proprietary, generally. Uh, it's not stuff that you know you would be doing elsewhere. But you know, this is a, not an uncommon situation that a large chemical or a, a large company would have research scientists on as part of their staff. Okay. Uh, and anyway, your boss calls you in and says, "Here, uh, I want you to read this." All right. Well. Okay, I'll, I'll summarize this for you. They, uh, at NASA, who, yeah, these even mentioned in here, uh, had uh, developed a, an unmanned exploratory probe that was going to go uh, to the nearby previously invisible planet. Okay, so that's us made up, but uh, it's, it kind of plays on the people who think that on exactly on the opposite side of the sun there's a planet itself, it's just like Earth. Uh, and, and people, you know, nobody's ever found it, but, but some people think it's there. Anyway, so apparently they found this, and uh, they, but what they really want to do is they want to land this probe and sample the, uh, yeah, what are the soils like? What's the atmosphere like? Is there life present there? You know, typically like what we do with Mars. You know, we want to know what's the soil like? What's the atmosphere like? Is there a possibility of life there? Okay, and, and that's what we're looking at. And so they uh, uh, developed this probe, and they called it the, you know, they, they love acronyms in, in government, and, and NASA does. They call it the Extraterrestrial Landing Vehicle Integrated Sampler, or ELVIS. Okay, uh, so gonna gather samples, gonna maintain them in normal atmospheric and temperature conditions, uh, and then bring them back. That was the plan, okay? Uh, so that they could be more thoroughly studied uh, here. Uh, so it's fairly sophisticated. Now, workers that constructed the robot, you know, they got really tied up in the Elvis thing. And they actually made a spandex, a white spandex jumpsuit to put over the, the probe, on the probe, 
or at least have parts of it. Um, and it was public relations. It was really a big deal. Everybody made a big deal out of it. And, and you can imagine that, you know, that that, that could happen. Um, okay. And so anyway, uh, the, the, the probe went out and uh, has come back. And there are problems because your company, DuPont, has been accused of supplying substandard materials, particularly in plastics, that were used, and and sabotaging the whole program. Okay, so what happened? Okay, so when this thing returned and they opened it up and they were going to have a big ceremony, uh, the the robot was going to come down in a, a ramp. Uh, and uh, what they found was that the jumpsuit was a slimy puddle in the bottom of the, the, the uh, lander. Uh, and the skin, a, a version of Lycra that was made to, uh, for as part of the robot, has also deteriorated and is just dripping off of the... the uh, uh, and of course, it doesn't look anything like what it was supposed to look like. Um, and so uh, NASA immediately, uh, they switched to something else and, uh, so it would all be seen. Um, but of course, NASA came back and said, well, you guys made all the plastics for this. Obviously, you did, you, you did not produce things properly. You sold us something for a lot of money, and it didn't work. We go down below. Uh, and so you're kind of, again, you're still kind of wondering, well, what, about, what am I doing? All this. So the boss says, we don't know what caused this. Okay? The only plastics that were damaged were polyurethanes. Our company made those polyurethanes at a cost of $15 million. And now we're being accused that of uh, being incompetent. Okay? So what we want to find out is we don't think we did that. We think we, we made perfectly good plastics. We use the normal uh, procedures. And so what we want to find, and, and our stuff of ours, like probably your things, have gone into space before and come back, and they, they were fine. So we want to know what happened. Okay? All right. So then you would say, why me? Well, okay. And the answer is, well, some of the people that were there said there was a smell that reminded them of, I don't know if you've ever been around an autoclave when it's opened after you have uh, uh, sterilized things. It has a very unique odor to it. Uh, not overly pleasant odor. Uh, and they said, that's what it smelled like. And so uh, your boss is saying, okay, what we want to be able to, what we want to look at is, was this entire mess caused by microbes? Wasn't our faulty you know, production, there were microbes involved that are what caused the, the polyurethane to fail. If we can prove that, then we can show, not our fault, we, we, did, you know, we did what we were supposed to do. Right? And so, uh, so your boss says, look, I'm going to handle all the communications with the public and the media and so on. What I want you to do is get to work on this and Try to figure out from what we have what happened. Okay, so uh, so let's remember what scientists do. They answer questions, right? Uh, uh, 
testing hypothesis. So the hypothesis that, of course, they would like you to be able to prove is that the degradation of the polyurethane was caused by microorganisms, or maybe one, maybe several, that were present in the soil samples that were collected on this other plant. And therefore, you know, we've never been in contact with them before, but they're what caused the problem. They would like, that's what they want you to try to verify that hypothesis. All right, so using uh, phase contrast, uh, microscopy, uh, we'll skip that. We're just going to do part two first, and then we'll come back and do part three. Um, do you, uh, you look at a, a wet mount of the soil sample, okay? Other soil sample here. And then this is a, a wet mount of the goo that was dripping off of Elvis when it happened. Okay. And so what, the first thing we're going to do, I want you to divide up into groups of about four, maybe five at the, at the most, and write out some, write out your conclusions on that. Do these, uh, uh, in what ways are these potential microbes similar to microbes that are found on Earth? In what ways are they different? And could you determine whether microbes present in the soil or goo samples are similar or distant from those known on, on, on our planet? Okay, so how would you approach that? That's what you want to, want to get into groups and talk about. How would I approach that? Just, so we'll look at two questions here. Well, three questions. How are they similar or different? Okay. And how could you get some idea if they are phylogenetically related to microbes that we have on Earth? In other words, we want to look at, was this the result of contamination from Earth? We don't think so, but we need to, we need to look at that. Okay. So let me make this a little larger. So To do so, we're going to do number two here. Okay, so it'll take about ten minutes or so. I'll get into groups and write out answers. Put everybody's name on the sheet of paper. Just going to turn it in at the end, uh, and then we're going to go around and see what everybody came up with. Thank you. 